All right, let me ask you a question. How many of you all have seen the video? Charlie bit my finger, and it really hurts. Anybody seen it? Raise your hand. Let me see the people who have seen this. Uh, hands are raised around the auditorium. I've always wanted to say that. Look at those hands that are being raised. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Charlie bit my finger and it really hurts. It's a YouTube video that's gone viral. Uh, it's some home video of, of two boys, uh, two brothers, uh, and the one brother bites his finger. Charlie bites his brother's finger and it really hurt. And it's one of the cutest little videos you'll see. And uh, they have, I think it's a British accent, maybe. Um, and it absolutely has swept across uh, the country. The number of hits it's taken, it's amazing. It's what they call going viral. Now, you know, back when I had kids, we had little home videos. And they did some cute things like bite each other's ears or fingers or whatnot. But it just was shared between a few family and friends. But with the invention of YouTube, everything kind of changes. Now, all of a sudden, things like someone's home video could go viral. Well, there's a tipping point that's happened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Something has happened. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the apostles and upon the church and upon us. And now this this empowered good news of the gospel, with the power of God, it's going viral. So the first thing we see this morning is uh, being a witness Uh, that he has called us to, is going viral across the world. Remember where it started. Remember the story started in an upper room. 120 people were all of us. The whole church would fit right here on the floor. And we've seen as we've journeyed together, it's gone to 3,000, and today we'll see 5,000. And before we know it, even as this book ends, it will be to what we know then is the ends of the earth. Being a witness is going viral, and it's still going viral today. And today, God is calling you to be a part of that story. Secondly, being a witness is taking center stage. I mean, American Idol has has gone across our country in some of the little uh, cities and towns and hamlets, and they've been looking for talent. And when someone has enough talent, you can hear Randy say, you're going to Hollywood, baby. And basically saying, hey, you were good enough uh, that now you're going to go to center stage. You're going to go to Hollywood and be judged. Well, this, this gospel, this resurrected Savior Jesus, it, it starts off so humbly in just a, an upper room. And now we're going to see this morning's text that, that the gospel, the witnessing, is taking center stage. And in center stage, or at least center stage of the religious world, it's, it's right in the temple. And it's right gathering with all the religious leaders, all the religious leaders who are going to be judging who this Jesus is and what he has really done. It's amazing. It's, uh, as we see the text today, Peter and John are going to be basically hauled together to a, a court. It's called the Sanhedrin. And they're going to be called there because they're going to take center stage because of a good deed they did. In the name of Jesus, Peter was used to heal a cripple. And here you see those who are in the center court, those who are supposed to be the shepherds, those are the ones who are supposed to be taking care of the poor and the lame and the widows. Those are the ones, instead of caring for the broken, they're judging those who do. It's amazing. We'll see the gospel take center stage. Uh, We'll see that the fact that this center stage gives Peter an amazing opportunity. Matter of fact, the text is going to go on to say he's, he's a fisherman. 
He's kind of a common guy. I mean, he really wasn't educated. I mean, have you ever sat in a room where you know that you give away a, a, a lot of IQ points right away? Have you ever been in a, in a place where you know right away, like, these people are a lot smarter than you are? Have you ever been on someone else's turf and you've been on their turf and, and they, they want you to know that you are in their place and, and they're making you feel uncomfortable? This is Peter and John. I mean, he, he's before uh, those in the church, the, the chief uh, of the temple guard. He's like the chief of police is there. The high priest is there. It's like, it's like, uh, maybe like a pope kind of figure. I mean, the highest ranking official, they're all there in disdain looking at this Peter and John saying, who are you? And the gospel's taken center stage. And it's at this point where Peter has this amazing privilege of pointing them to Jesus. You know, those who were there in the story, you're gonna hear guys' names like Caiaphas and Annas. Now, let me tell you the beautiful thing about this story. It's so amazing. These are names, if you're familiar with the Bible, that you'd be familiar with. Like John 18 will clearly tell us it's these two characters are the ones that, that were used center stage to say to, to uh, Jesus, you need to be crucified. And isn't it just wonderful and marvelous in God's providence? Here are these two characters again, standing in judgment, sitting in judgment probably. And here are these two fishermen taking center stage and pointing to Jesus. And he's, he's saying this, listen, if you're trying us because of this good deed that Jesus is, that we've done in Jesus' name, yeah, we did it for him. And by the way, you crucified him. And by the way, he's alive. And by the way, this good news cannot be muted. And he goes on to say to them and to us and to the rest of the world, listen, there's no other name under heaven given among men in which you must be saved. The name that is above every name is the name of Jesus. So it's going, uh, becoming a witness is going viral. Becoming a witness is going to go to central uh, center stage and actually be dispersed from there. And the third thing is, being a witness is becoming dangerous. Do you know what statistics say is the most dangerous profession uh, in the world? Anybody know? Fishermen. Fishermen and, and then uh, loggers. Uh, those are like the, the top two. Do you know what the most dangerous job was in the New Testament? Apostles. There was 12 of them. History tells us that 11 of them, 11 of them were going to be killed for their faith. That's 92% of apostles will be martyred for their faith. The statistics on fishermen are of like 0.001. So maybe being a fisher of men is a lot more dangerous than being a fisher of fish. But Jesus had predicted to his apostles, this is going to happen to you. You're going to follow me, and I'm going to give you the privilege of following me. And you know what? The world hated me, and they're going to hate you. The world persecuted me, and it's going to persecute you. As a matter of fact, Scripture goes on to even tell us this, that, that if you desire to live a godly life, any one of you who desires to follow after Jesus, Scripture says you will be persecuted. It will be a struggle. It will be difficult. Being a witness is becoming dangerous. The blood of the martyrs, it is said, by an early church father. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And we're going to see that even as the gospel's being persecuted, the good news goes forth. 
And the gospel story of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And the whole world is forever changed. So let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 4. Remember, we just had this amazing healing, incredible uh, 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 sermon that, that Peter has preached. And now uh, we have the privilege of hearing uh, a glimpse of what these leaders do to these two men. Let's hear God's word. Acts 4, verses 1 through 12. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Hear God's word. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard, he would be like the chief of police, and the Sadducees, and by the way, these are the religious folks who were liberal. Uh, They did not believe in miracles. They did not believe in the resurrection. They really had a hard time with any teaching that Jesus was still alive. They had cozied themselves up to the Romans, the Sadducees. And the Sadducees came upon them, and they were greatly annoyed because they, John and Peter, were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now they had a funny way of counting then, women. The Bible is so beautiful about women. It tells us that you are a joint heir in Christ. It tells us that there's neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. It tells us that we are both image bearers. But culturally back then, they counted just the men. But I love the fact of the equality that God's word reminds us that God has for all women. But we have at least 5,000 men and many more women and children. Verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst... They inquired. Now, this is probably the Sanhedrin that have gathered. Quickly, they assembled 71 religious leaders in a semicircle. And they would have put these two men right in their midst, right before them. And they asked this question, these questions. By what power or by what name do you do, did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing word of yours. Thank you for this story. It's so exciting to see the gospel go to center stage. So exciting to see 
the reality of who Jesus is being proclaimed to the very ones who crucified him. And it's wonderful to know that that Savior still lives and that story still goes on. And so, God, we ask that the Spirit of Jesus would come and and fill this room in a way that we all could hear his voice through these words. You would give us the power. You'd shine in our minds that we'd understand your word, that you would lovingly embrace our hearts to embrace your truth and your Son, that you would come and be with us and that we would walk in a manner worthy of this truth. We would be like that crippled man who has truly been set free. We would dance and jump and, and, and just walk in a way that just says, Jesus has healed even me. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know the reality of who your son is, that they would not be able to leave here not knowing and loving and worshiping Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Father, the things that I said that are wrong or just my opinion, may it fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? And Father, would you forgive the sins of the preacher, there are many. And would you receive glory and glory alone? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As this mock trial was going on, as these men are assembled, they're going to ask two questions. I mean, right now the temple has been turned upside down. And no one can deny that there was a man that used to sit outside of the gate called Beautiful for 40 some odd years who had never in his life ever walked, who now is walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. I mean, there's such an amazing stir that all the people ran to hear from Peter and and to hear from John. And they were looking at these men like they were gods. And and they wanted to know, too, how did you do this? And it was Peter who just got done with one of the most amazing Christ-centered sermons of saying, point to Jesus, look to Jesus, he's the one. That's where our hope is. And now the religious leaders, they, they weren't too excited about this. Isn't it sad? Just stop for a minute and think about that. Isn't it sad to think that the shepherds of the temple, the religious leaders, weren't excited about a man who was healed? They were concerned with their own power. They were concerned with their own name. They were concerned that something was going to get away from them that they loved. And they didn't love Jesus. So now you have this, this mock trial and they're going to ask this question. They're going to say, now, now whose name, or what, what power, what authority? I mean, who gave you the right? You've got to understand, these are the ones in the temple who basically say, we're the ones who have the name. I mean, we're the ones who have the degree. I mean, we're the ones who have the title. Who are you? And who, who allowed you to do this in our temple? And what name are you using to do this? And we first see this. There's no other name other than the name of Jesus. There's an outline if you want to follow along in your bulletin there for you. Easy three things. One is no other name. They really are asking, who gave you the permission to do this and under what authority? What I love about Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and also wrote the gospel of Luke, he tells us in Luke chapter 20 of another story like this. It was actually Jesus himself who had gone in and he cleansed the temple. He went in and act like he owned the place. He went into the presence of God and basically said, hey, by the way, this is my father's house and this should be a house of prayer. 
And then he, he starts teaching, and Jesus is in the temple in Luke chapter 20, and he's, he's teaching and he's preaching, it says, in 20, verses 1 through 3. And guess what happens to the religious leaders? They're mad at him. And they want to know, hey, what authority do you have? I mean, whose name do you come in here under whose authority? And Jesus, I mean, he's just, listen to how Jesus always responds to questions in the Bible. It's so beautiful. He almost always gives them a question back. And he says to them, hey, let me ask you a question. Uh, John the Baptist, did he baptize? Was he from heaven or was he from men? And they were like, uh-oh, we're in trouble with that one because we didn't like that guy. And if we say he's uh, from man, the crowd's going to go nuts. We can't certainly say he's from heaven because we didn't like him and put him to death. So they said, I don't know. And Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you the authority either. So even Jesus himself has been with this crowd Ask the same question to this name that is given. But we see that in chapter 3, verse 6, when Peter was used by God to heal this man, he says to this to him, I don't have silver or gold. I know that's what you're looking for. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And I'm going to give it to you in the name, was basically saying under the authority and for the glory of, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, which rise and walk. I just got to tell you, I love the phrase. As I study through Acts, one of the things that I'm enjoying that I didn't anticipate is how they describe Jesus as Jesus the Christ from Nazareth. And and this is not even my notes. This is just extra stuff I'm throwing in for you guys because I love you, all right? So, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, Jesus is his name, okay? And it was a name that that was given to him, um, not by Joseph or Mary, but given from heaven because he will save people from their sins Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. So when he says Jesus, they'll remember the gospel of Matthew says, given that name because he will save his people from their sins. Christ basically says the promised one, the anointed one, the Messiah from Nazareth, I love. Because it's basically saying, you knew this guy. And this guy who is son of God is also son of man. I mean, he's, he's one of us. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whose name Peter was the one to use and says, in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. He basically did this under the authority of Jesus. I mean, Jesus met with him, the resurrected Savior, met with Peter and the disciples for some 40 days, we learned in Acts chapter 1, and taught them about the kingdom of God. And he's basically saying to them, the authority I give to you, you ready for this? What name do you have? The name I have, the authority I have is Jesus. And guess what? He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. These men may sit there with all their degrees and all of their high hats and whatever robes that they were wearing. And the name and the authority that's above every name was the name of Jesus. And that's the name in which he had the authority to act on. Not only did he have that authority, he was also acting for the glory of The thing that amazes me about Peter in this passage is never once did he point to himself. Never once did he he do a victory dance along the temple. I mean, it's amazing. His entire time, he just pointed to Jesus and said, I'm nothing. It's nothing about my righteousness. It's nothing about my power. It's all about him. And it's all for his glory and his fame. The name of Jesus. As I mentioned, it was the angel of the Lord who came to, to actually, who came to uh, Joseph in a moment of struggle in Joseph's life, saying, uh-oh, my fiance Mary, she's pregnant. 
uh, I'll just quietly do the right thing and dismiss her because we haven't had any relationships to have that happen. And the angel of the Lord came and said, no, 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 this is, this is, this is of me. This is, this, is, this is the promise that's coming. This is of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Joseph, you are going to be a dad, but you're not going to be really the dad the Father in heaven is. And you're not going to have the privilege of naming this child. This child comes pre-named. This child's name is Jesus. And he's given the name Jesus because he is the only Savior of the world. It's the name of Jesus. It's going to be the name above every name. I love the reality as uh, the apostle... Um, Paul will tell us about this Jesus in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, he reminds us that although Jesus, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but, but Jesus, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant and in the appearance of man, fully man. And he became obedient, even obedient to death and even death on the cross. And the Father in heaven sees his Son, and he sees how he came to serve and rescue the people. And he lifts his Son up, and he tells his Son in Philippians 2, 9 uh, through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted his Son, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under, er, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What name are you using? Are you claiming for this healing? And maybe you could hear Peter say, Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer, living Word. Yeah, I sang it. The name of Jesus. Do you know that blessed name? There's no other name. There's no other power. They want to know, how, how did you do this? I mean... We knew this guy. We walked by this guy. We gave this guy some alms. We, we, we try to earn our way to heaven by, by giving this guy some stuff. How did you do this? We have the degrees. We have the education. We've studied the word. How did you do this? You know, when Jesus did things like this, you know who they gave credit to? Satan. He's obviously a demon. Because we know God. And God doesn't act this way. And Jesus says, I am God. And yes, he does. No other power. I mean, there's no other power. Jesus alone, I love this, is Jesus is the only one who has ultimate power. Why? Because he has resurrected power. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I mean, Jesus is the only one who's tasted death and wins. I mean, he's the only one who walks out of a tomb, with, lays his grave clothes aside and walks out and says, hey guys, I'm alive, touch me. Come over here, Thomas. Look at, look at these. Come and, come and embrace me, Thomas. See and believe. I mean, Jesus has the power over death. Jesus has the power over sin. I mean, Jesus has the power of God's Son. Jesus has almighty God power. What power do you have? The power that speaks and universes come into existence. The power to hold all things together power to take you and me dead in our sins 
and make us alive. The power to take our misery and drive it as far as the east is from the west. I mean, the power of the gospel. Paul will say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the good news of the gospel because why? That, that same word power, the Greek word dunamis, because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Power of God that will take those who by nature are children of wrath and make us joint heirs with Christ. The power of God who takes those who are far away and draws them near. The power of God. What power do you do it? The power of Jesus. You know, Jesus has the power not only to heal, but to make new and to make alive. Jesus in this gospel power has the power over the penalty of sin, that we could be declared not guilty, and the gospel power even over living in sin. As we worship this morning, I was like, God, I, I know that power. Would you give me more? Are you there? Gosh, I still wrestle. <laughs> I still wrestle saying, God, there seems like sometimes a power outage. <laughs> but it's a power over everything. You see, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's no other power. Thirdly, there's no other hope. I mean, again, part of this passage that probably I got most excited about, I mean, how do you not get excited about the whole thing, but was to realize that what is Peter is saying here is so amazing as far as the, uh, uh, the hope of Christ what he is saying is that Jesus is the cornerstone. I mean, Jesus is the centerpiece of all that God is doing for salvation. And he, what he does is this. He starts quoting Psalm 118. He says, Jesus is the stone that you have rejected. He has become the cornerstone. He has become the one that God is building all of the church upon. Here you have this amazing picture of all the leaders of the church in the temple. And guess about who's the only one who's going to emerge. It's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus through the sermon of Peter. He's the only one. He's basically saying this. Peter is saying this. And this is, you got to understand, this, is caught, this could cost him his life. He's looking the religious leaders in the eye and saying, you are not the ones that hold salvation. Jesus is. And here's what he's saying. And this is not the place. Are you kidding me? This is, this is the temple. No, no. This isn't the place. The center of God's salvation is his son. That is the place. Psalm 118.22 says this, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Look, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22 about this. Our only hope, our only cornerstone. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the, prof, of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I mean, this is, this is so radical. What Paul is saying is that Jesus is the actual cornerstone to the temple. And the gospel has now made us one in him. And that we are now being built up as the temple of God. There is salvation found in no other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's basically saying this. What other, what name, what power, what authority? It's Jesus and he's our only hope. I mean, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. Do you long to be free? There's only one, Jesus. He's the one who can set you free. Free from your sins, free from your past. Free to live knowing you're loved as a child. Jesus is our only hope to be free. I mean, Jesus is the only one who our hope to be alive. I and mean, he conquered death. And he shares us his name and he gives us his resurrected life. The only way that we can have life and life abundantly is in him. And the only way we can be fruitful is in him and living filled with his spirit. He's the only hope. My hope is built on nothing less Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not lean on the sweetest frame, but trust in Jose's name. Thank you. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm going to get rid of that jack guy. I think I got it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad he's listening to the first service. That's good. I think he needs to hear this one twice. All right, let me ask you some questions as we close. What name, what name, what name is empowering you to do the things you do? Are you doing it for your own name? Your family name? What name? What power? What power is empowering you to do the things you do? I mean, really, are you, are, you, are you looking to your own power and strength? Are you tapping into the resurrected power of Jesus to do all things? It just humbles me because I think that, you know, the reality is, is I could do, I think, most things on my own. I have this gap in between the things I'd like to do and the things that I am doing, and I ask Jesus to fill in those things, you know? But the reality is we can do nothing apart from him. And are we really tapping into the power of that name, the power of the gospel and living our lives, dying to self and living for him? And what or who are you building your life upon? Is it upon Christ, the solid rock? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the boldness. We're gonna see that next week. The boldness of Peter and the boldness of John. They were men who others would recognize have been with Jesus. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that took these fishermen, at one time deniers of you, and now standing before this court on center stage, seeing the good news of the gospel go viral and have the privilege to say, there's no other name but Jesus. And there's no other power except in the resurrected power of Jesus. And there's no other hope 
found for our life and the life to come except through the person and the work of Jesus. Father, I pray that that reality would press deeply into all of our lives. For those of us who know you, may it go deeper. For those of us who don't, may we come to the reality and the realization that there's no other hope, no other name, no other power, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's his name we pray. Amen.